Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's July 19th, 2019. You're listening to the best poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. <sighs> and I'm Scott Long. <laughs> For those who don't know, it's 6.12 a.m. on the West Coast, and Scott is awake recording our show because he's so devoted to all of you in the anti Nation. Uh, one clarification. I am physically up. Awake <laughs> might be a strong <laughs> See how the show goes because I got a lot to talk about this show. So if I doze off, I mean you're just going to be fall asleep because you don't want the show to go any more than an hour. So, well, if you have a lot to say, then I'll be dozing off. That that's the <laughs> thing. I don't know if I can actually rein you in because I might not make it through the whole show. Your voice just so soothing to me. <laughs> no, it's I got a, what I call the Casenza cold. <laughs> so it's it's not going to be the silky smooth uh, velvet voice that you've. Are, are you recording in the bathroom? It sounds like you're in the bathroom. I am at the work desk in the uh, main room of my suite. Wow. Sorry. H- hang up some towels on the wall or something. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, hey, there are very high ceilings here. So it's a, it's a very spacious AAA Four Diamond Resort. Yeah, it's a nice place. It's not made for podcasting. <laughs> well, you should, in the upgrades, when they when they redo the rooms, you should put it yeah, in for that. Excuse me, can I have a podcast-friendly room, please? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Is there a, a suggestion box somewhere that we could put that in? <laughs> and yes, I would like it near the elevator, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm out here at the anti World Championship at the beautiful Thunder Valley Casino Resort in Lincoln, California. And uh, we are probably halfway through. I think we are exactly halfway through, Chris. Wow. And uh, started off with a bang, 1,202 entries in the catapult, a $14,000 plus payout uh, for a $160 buy-in. Gosh, I want one of those paydays someday. Yeah, someday. That's huge. Yes, yes. It's, so far, it's not going to be this day or any of the days I've been out here, but maybe <laughs> one of my future days out here. We'll see. But, <laughs> but uh, no, everything is up uh, year over year. People are real excited. Uh He's got the um, covers all throughout the room here, um, and uh, it's a good environment. And uh, obviously, seeing all these folks that I get to see once or twice a year when I'm out here is uh, been a lot of fun. So, still plenty of time to come out here, folks. And uh, all the details can be found at antiupmagazine.com/slash/worldchampionship. We'll be out here for another ten days through July 28th. So, still um, 15 events to go. So. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, we used to have two events out here every year. We had the World Championship here in July and the NF North Cal Classic in November. Well, last year their schedule got so crowded that we had to combine them into one. And that's still the case this year, though. It might get re-expanded next year, so we'll see what happens. But this year's uh, winner is Ritash Patel of the North NorCal Classic. Uh, they did an ICM deal, six-handed, like almost right when I showed up, and then I fell asleep, so I didn't get this. <laughs> <laughs> they played out for the title. 
but our good friend uh, Dan Ross from Holder Radio was was on the scene, so took care of that. But uh, so he's going to be the first winner on the cover of this um, series, and then of course the winner of our main event, uh, July twenty sixth, twenty eighth, will be on the uh, September cover. So and one more chance to get on the cover out here, and um, if things go the way they have, tell my follow up because that seems to happen out here on the West Coast, back to back covers now yeah. after July. Um, 257 entries in the seniors championship, which blew the doors off of that as well, too. Those well had expect expectations. And then of course I always have fun when I come out here, Chris, you know, get my obligatory steak dinner yeah. where we talk about stuff. We're going to talk a little bit more about that a little later in the show. Cause we had some interesting discussions during it this year. Um, and of course I like to donate my money to the local economy here, which I'll talk about in a minute. But, uh, before I even landed, uh, I was, uh, glamping in Pennsylvania, getting ready to get on the plane, I come out here, and I get a text from some folks out here. They're like, all right, we're doing a World Series of Poker last longer. Are you in? 20 bucks. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't even know the details. I'm in. 20 bucks. <laughs> and so there were six of us um, out here from Thunder Valley. And um, uh, they did a random generator on the computer. And we all got assigned a World Series of Poker final table player. So there's only six of us. We eliminated the, the three biggest chip stacks to make it a little bit more fair. Okay. Which is, I think, right? Right. Um, and I drew Super Dario. No way. And, uh, you know, it was funny. When they first told me that, I was trying to think. I'm like, all right, who am I going to pick when it's my turn to draft? And then I realized, no, they're not drafting. They're just doing it random, which makes sense. But Dario's who I would have picked. So I got real excited, right? And I'll tell you, it was a roller coaster ride. Um, uh, we're going to talk a lot more about the World Series next, but um, I've never watched this much of the final table or the final couple days um, in the last six years combined. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. It was because I had that sweat, that little twenty-hour sweat, right? And um, you know, things went well for me at the beginning, and then uh, when I got down three-handed, I was ready to peel my uh, twenty off to, to Mr. Ross from uh, Holden Radio. And then we were at literally at the steakhouse when we get the text from him. Uh, Scott wins. And we're like, what? There's no way. Because Dario was like way low in ships when we left to go to the steakhouse. And um, so anyhow, uh, I paid for my first tournament entry. So I'm not down as much as I thought it was going to be. So. <laughs> uh, but what an interesting way to uh, sweat the World Series, I think. I think I might try to, you know, I'm sure these guys out here will do it every every year now that we thought about it. But uh might be something fun for us to think about next year. So. Yeah, well, that's cool, actually. I mean, you know, it'll it'll kind of stink if you get the short stack who's going to go out in 20 minutes, but you never know, you know, you never know. It oh, makes it that much Miguel more interesting. Miguel recovered from that very easily. I mean, three hands in, he was out. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, so I did play uh, three tournaments so far. Um, all my good games are coming up, though, so that, that's a way of me saying I, it doesn't matter that I didn't come close to even cashing in these first three tables. <laughs> Our first three tournaments, I mean. Um <coughs> But as usual, nothing goes easy for me when I'm out here, right? So um, so the very first tournament, uh, it was the Dueling 125s, uh, which I don't think I've got to play before because usually I get out here a little later. But um, interesting tournaments. It's a $125 buy-in, so it's a smaller buy-in than most of the tournaments out here. Also a smaller chip stack. It's 12500 Yeah, you get it? Dueling 125. Yes, I get it. Uh, they're pretty clever out here, aren't they? <laughs> um, and five starting flights. So you actually get a pretty good uh, prize pool. I think first place ended up being like 10K maybe or 8K or something like that. Yes. Whatever it was for 125, it was ridiculous, ridiculous right? So, yeah. Um, so, you know, I was catching up on work. Um, I literally got everything done I needed to do 
with about a half an hour to spare, which is perfect. Um, so I'm like, all right, there's plenty of time for me to go downstairs. I forgot to take money out of the bank before I got here, so I got to go to the ATM, uh, stock up on that, and then go and register, sit down, have a good uh, couple minutes, relax before the, we go. That's the way you know you need to play, right? You need to be in the right frame of mind. You can't be rushed or distracted to play, right? Right. So I go downtown, go to the uh, downside, <coughs> downside lobby, go to the ATM, and make my biggest mistake of the trip. So uh, in the olden days, you could only take like 400 bucks out at a time, right? Yeah. But then I remember like the uh, last couple times you could take out more. And so then I couldn't remember the difference between how much I could take out from the – what the casino would let me take out versus what my bank would take out, right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm kind of like you. I hate paying for my money, so um, it's going to be 650 total for me to take money out. So I'd rather do that one time when I'm out here, right, rather than two or three times. So, you know, I'm like, all right, let me go for the gusto. Type in 1,000, go through all the little screens, and then it says uh, a transaction couldn't be processed. Try again. I'm like, well, that sucks. I'm like, now I'm 25 minutes to start time. Let me punch all this back in. And I'm like, maybe I shot too high. So maybe I need to put 800 in, right? Right. Put 800 in, goes through all the little things again. Card's been declined. I'm like, what? Card can't be declined? So I put it back in, go through the whole thing, try for 400, and card declined. I'm like, what? <laughs> so then I have to call my bank now with 20 minutes before the tournament starts. <laughs> and of course, you go through all the little punch number things, you know, you're screaming, operator, operator. And then finally, it's like, all right, you'll be uh, handled by the next operator. Your current wait time is 15 minutes. Oh. I'm like, all right, so great. So I'm sitting out in the lobby. I'm like, I can't hear. I'm like, you know what? If it's going to be 15 minutes, I have time to take the elevator back up to my room and, and uh, relaxing AAA four diamond luxury comfort there while I'm waiting for uh, Joey from Regions Bank to get on the phone, right? Of course, I get in the elevator. Halfway up, call drops because I'm in the elevator. <laughs> At the call back, your wait time is 15 minutes. I'm like, no! Get through finally. Uh, tell the guy what happened, and he's like, "Oh yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, you can't take out a thousand. So as soon as you do that, our system locks your card." I'm like, "Well, that's great." <laughs> and he's like, "No, don't worry. Uh, we'll just send you over to fraud. You answer a couple questions, and they'll unlock it, and you'll be good to go." I'm like, "All right, great." Sends me over to fraud. Of course, I get another menu when I get over there, right? Yeah. And then by that time, my phone is dim, so I can't see the keypad. And so I, I go to undim it, and it won't undim, and it finally undims. And as I, I keep pounding it to undim it, hit the disconnect button. <laughs> I'm like, no! <laughs> now I need to call back, but there's no number for the fraud thing, so I have to call back to the first guy. Your current wait time is 12 minutes. No! Get through to them, have me transfer me back. And one of the options is ATM. I picked that one without my phone dimming this time. And uh, it has one option, and it's about filling up your ATM machine at your location. I'm like, that's not me. So I push that. Uh, I'll just talk to our operator. Get there. They're like, all right, you can leave a message for Joe. At blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, I'm not leaving a message for Joe to fill my ATM, which I don't have. <laughs> Hang up. Call back. Ten minutes to... <laughs> get through. And I get that lady, I'm like, can you give me the direct number to fraud if this keeps happening? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sends me over there. Get it all fixed. By this time, it's 10 minutes after the tournament started, and I'm like, forget it. Got to do the 8 o'clock <laughs> flight tonight. <laughs> it's not in a good frame of mind right now. Right. So that's how I started out my whole play here, right? So, and uh, did all right, but then didn't make it, didn't make a splash at all. Then certainly didn't close the bagging. So, 
yesterday morning played the PLO. And, uh, you know, PLO, if you get one or two bad hands, one or two hands will either make your tournament or crush your tournament, yeah, right? Yeah. These pots are so big. Uh, I had the ladder. But I did have one funny. I uh, The $100 chips here, and they have a couple different chip sets. So uh, the morning set, they had a um, – it's gray for 100 and kind of like a light blue for 500. Uh-huh. Uh, um, so they look a lot similar, right? And um, so there was a hand where I literally had like top hair, I think, right? Not not at all a winning hand to PLO usually. Uh, but the woman I was playing against usually plays pretty light as well too. So she made a bet on the river and, for 200. And I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll do a crying call. Threw it in. And then the dealer's like, raise. And I'm like, look down. Oh, no. I threw in 600 instead of 200. Uh-huh. And, of course, I immediately screamed, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody at the table knew it was a mistake. And the woman that I raised, she's like, I don't think you meant to do that. I'm like, no, I totally meant to do that, man. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks for about three minutes and folds. Wow. That's respect right there, right? <laughs> well, Sammy Sosa, Chapman, I'm like, wow, all right. I'll take that. And then, of course, four hands later, I was out when I missed the two draws on two back-to-back hands, which sucks. So. So I didn't go over to PLO, and then I'm like, I wasn't going to play last night's tournament, but it was the um, Antioch NorCal Jacked Up tournament, they call it. Yeah. So it started with 30,000 units, um, and uh, so I'm like, I went down and played, and our former player of the year, Walt Strakowski, was in the house. He's, really? uh, you know, he usually comes out here to Sacramento and work. Uh, I've actually never seen him play here. We keep missing each other when we're out here, but uh, he sent me a text uh, earlier today. He's like, I'm going to play the 5 o'clock, and I'm like, you know what? So am I. So I get down there, and... Um, he, uh, he bowed out in his first bullet, got a second bullet, um, and then um, we were about 40 from the money, I think, and I got transferred to his table. Two hands later, I was out. <laughs> so I got to play with him for two hands, Chris. <laughs> uh, but very exciting to see our um, our friends from Florida all the way out here in California for this event. So pretty exciting. And um, like I said, all the details can be found at antientmagazine.com slash Championship. Awesome. And lots of people asking about you, Chris, and I'm like, hey, you, you build a bonsai tree in that parking lot, he'll be here. I will be there. If not, you'll we'll never see him. So. I don't know if you build one, but you grow one. All right. Well, you go to all these conventions where you build them, right? <laughs> I don't build them. Make them look pretty? I make them look pretty, but I don't build them. All right. There we go. <laughs> all right. So the other uh, big tournament going on this week with the World Series, here are the highlights in the past week, is it now reached its completion. Uh, Germany's Hassin and San is the world champion, preventing Super Dario Sammartini from becoming the first Italian world champion. Chris cries a little bit. <sighs> At uh, one point at the final table, Ensign, originally from Iran, had more than 59% of the chips in play. That was crazy to watch. Uh, Ensign, who is 55, is the oldest world champion in 20 years. Can I get a whoop whoop for those old guys? <laughs> I know. Uh, it was his first World Series of Poker Cash ever, though he has had more than $2.5 million in career tournament winnings uh, before claiming the $10 million top prize early Wednesday morning, so certainly no slouch. And the tournament, I thought this was an interesting uh, fact, took uh, nearly 85 hours of actual poker play. So oh, wow. A two-hour work week for normal people who actually have jobs. Wow. So. Still, though, I mean, that's that's a lot of poker. I mean, it, yeah, it's it sounds like, oh, you know, you work two weeks, you win $10 million. But, I mean... It's still a lot of poker, though, right? That's to play eighty-five hours of stressful poker like that. That's that's an accomplishment. Just just to play it alone, never mind to actually win it. Intense. Yeah. Uh, all right, a couple of things, and we'll circle back here. Keith uh, Tiltson, best name in poker. I know right? that's awesome. <laughs> the only player at the final table without a bracelet 
won event number 83. That was a $100,000 high roller, giving Daniel Negreanu yet another runner-up finish. He did claim that he has the most runner-up finishes of all time, but they didn't verify that. So, <laughs> I told you, we need Elias Forts. I don't know why people aren't jumping on this idea. Uh, 187,298 total entries this year as the most ever and up 51% over last year. Astounding. That's, uh, that's, that's an amazing stat, isn't it? I mean, yeah. so basically, I mean, that up 51% over last year? Is it because he had 89 events too? I mean, that's got to be Yeah, it, right? well, certainly added a bunch of events. Uh, they made um, a lot of um, events more affordable too, so they did a lot of things. Yeah, okay, know. all right. And they will say the the 50th anniversary probably got people out, but yeah. I was discussing that with people here, and I'm like, no one went out there just because it's the 50th anniversary, right? <laughs> no, no poker player is that nostalgic. But, uh, did other things to get people out there, so that's that's to their credit. So, uh, players from more than 100 nations participated, with 22 nations winning bracelets. That's incredible as well. Yeah. And women's participation was up this year. Uh, the women's women's championship seeing an eight year high, 39 percent. Better than last year in the main event, seeing an increase of 16% in women's rotation this year, up 39% over the past five years. Very good. That's very cool. That's a great stat right there. You know. Absolutely. It's always good to see uh, uh, not only just more people showing up, but more uh, more women as well, too. So um, that's fantastic. Um so uh, the main event, I, just a couple of thoughts on that before we move on. Like, cause I, like I said, I actually watched more of it this year than I have in past years. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I had a rooting interest in uh, Super Dario, <laughs> and uh, I'm glad he uh, got me my got me my money back. Um, and what a cool dude at the final table in a tuxedo. Um, and pardon me, wanted him to win just for that. <laughs> uh, uh, but the the rails this year were fantastic. I don't know how people get these shirts printed this quickly, but you know every everybody on the final table had a cheering section with twenty plus people wearing shirts and uh, super uh, great uh, environment um, to watch poker in. Um, uh, and while I you know I obviously had a rooting interest in Dario um, when when I woke up the next morning I couldn't stay up even on the West Coast to watch the end of this. Um, I was happy that Ensign won. Um, uh, you know, at one point he had 330 million chips, which that alone is just staggering, right? Yeah. And he had with the five-handed, he had um, the entire table covered, not just every player at the table, but if every ta- player at the table put their chips together, he still had more than they did. Wow. That was amazing to watch. Um, so anyhow, so I was thinking, you know, anybody um, that that was that dominant for that long at the final table really should win. So. I was happy to see him win there, and and, and again, I, the old folks. You know, it's nice to see a world champion older than me. I never thought that was going to happen again, right? Right. All, all of them have been in their twenties, and yeah. I'm only getting older, and they're, they seem to be getting younger. So, yep. it's <laughs> good to good to see that. But um, but uh, but a lot, a lot of kind of a lot of fun actually being able to watch it on the big screen, uh, the big projector screen here in the in the tournament area, and and uh, have a sweat and um, commentary was really good from what I could hear, but. Uh, Congratulations to uh, Asin and Son. Well, there's something I wanted to bring up very quickly. Uh, for those of you who have not uh, joined our Annie Up Fans uh, group discussion uh, on on Facebook, um, you can easily do that. Just look for Annie Up Fans, and then you can join our group and get in on all the conversation. But um, our uh, our Where to Play editor Joe and uh, our Chicago, obviously Joe Chicago Joe, our Chicago uh, land uh, ambassador. He had made a comment on one of the posts about the World Series saying that Dario's rail was excessively loud 
and that something needs to be done in the future so players can hear what's going on at the table. So while you said it was great to have you know the, the rail and all that and the exciting stuff and supporting them with the T-shirts and everything, was there a point when you were watching it that something happened, like that the rail was just too loud for the, for the play, for the players? What happened? Well, yeah, most of it I watched in the poker rooms. So we didn't have the sound on, so I couldn't tell, you know, how loud they were being. Um, they certainly were very animated, not just Dario's group, but the other other fans as well, too. But uh, Dario's group certainly was the most animated of them. They had little Super Dario shirts with his face um, superimposed on Mario. Right. Which I thought was cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I would imagine as a player, it's probably kind of distracting when you're trying to make a decision. Um, but actually, when it was loud, it was after the hand was over, usually. I mean, no one was cheering in the middle of a hand. But um, but it, it was it was a Mardi Gras party atmosphere, I will tell you that. Okay. Um, you know, lots of people drinking beer and <laughs> having fun. And every time uh, somebody wins a pot, there is a uh, big cheering. But here's the thing I would say. I'm like, uh, you know, these folks, it was tough enough. Obviously, you can't compare it to the, the play, which went on for, I don't know how, how long the final table was. I think it was 301 hands, I think, I believe. Um, so it went on for a long, long time as a player. But as a fan, I mean, you just got to think about how boring that gets after a while, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not going to criticize them for, for trying to stay awake by uh, cheering loudly uh, after their, their guy wins every hand. So, um, But then again, I didn't watch it um, you know, it, quietly in, in the hotel room or, or like some other folks did. So I, I probably didn't get the full effect of how loud it was and how distracting it was. But okay. as a viewer, it was exciting, I think. So as a player, maybe not so much. But Okay. But, you know, if the guy can bring from Italy can bring that many people there to cheer for him, uh, I think the uh, the Americans there could have brought a bigger rail, a louder rail as well, too. So yeah. there is something for that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, they did announce during the final table that Chris Moneymaker, who was a huge part of the most recent poker boom and high stakes player David Oppenheimer, are this year's two inductees into the Poker Hall of Fame. Seems to be a lot of love for Mr. Moneymaker getting in there, and uh, as I think I said um, last week or the week before when we talked about this, he was uh, destined to get in there at some point. Seems a little early to me, but that's all right. Um, congratulations to him. That's pretty well, awesome. Most people on that list were deserving. We're not going to rehash that, but uh, it is interesting that those two were chosen. So once again, I, I'm over on my picks. That's probably yeah, why we're not on the on the committee because yeah. we'll pick all the ones. I was going to say every year. I think uh, I'm wondering if anybody's out there listening, thinking, "Yeah, you know what? I'm tired of hearing Scott and Chris whine about not being on the media panel. Maybe we should let them in." And then they hear who we picked, and like, "No, that's not going to happen." <laughs> <laughs> they have no idea what they're doing. They have no clue. I wonder how many people listening to the show actually know who David Oppenheim is. Yeah, well, that's true. But uh, how many people listening to this show actually play high stakes poker too? I, I so. know that's exactly right. But it's just it's just you know Hall of Fame because they're famous. It's like that's why you basically call them that. And just a lot of people don't know who he is. I bet probably true. Right. But he is a Hall of Famer now. So yeah, he is, so now he's famous, <laughs> <laughs> or at least he's famous in a hall. Yeah. In a- all right, all right. This is going to be an interesting discussion here. I mean, I know we have a lot on the show. We got more stuff to get to here, but we we held some other stuff to try to keep us around an hour. But but I did want to wait on this because it was from the World Series and um, had some interesting discussions already about this. So the world is at least the people I've talked to. The world is uh, ready to hear Chris's take on all this. Jeez. Oh, all right, so in probably one of the most high-profile dealer errors in history, Dario Sammartini asked for an all-in count of Chips Live at the World Series Poker Main event broadcast and was told $17.2 million and called 
it was didn't recognize the bet was actually 22 million. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. You know, geez, lose that <laughs> five million chip there. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Dario went on to lose the pot. Um, and uh, so the question I, I'm asking here is: it time for us to revisit player responsibility in some instances? And uh, if you want me, I'll go. I'll go through my rant first, and then you can sit there and eat your sandwich, and then uh, then chime in. So I mean. Here's which. Yeah, right here. uh, it's it's San Martino. I just want to make sure we got that straight. <laughs> it's Dario San Martino. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I should have done my French accent, and I could have obscured my mispronunciation. That's right. That's right. All right, go ahead. Do your rant, and I'll I'll wake All up. All right. So done. I was going to call this segment uh, "Let's Get Matt Savage Jacked Up" because uh, you know our friend did um uh, tournament director supreme uh, does listen to the show and then uh does like to text me when he disagrees with us so i get texts from him often <laughs> so uh we'll see what he, he chimes in here and if not he'll definitely be at the uh the world championship out here um, next week and i'm sure we'll talk about this as well too so um and then i also kind of previewed this whole discussion at the steakhouse a couple nights ago with uh, ben Irwin, who's a director of poker out here at thunder valley and uh, jordan cutter um who's one of the best traveling tournament directors around the world so we, we hashed this over over steak and wine, and it was a very, very passionate discussion is how I would describe it. So, um, All right, so first thing I'll say here, um, and I, I think there was some agreement uh, when I talked about this. There were no heroes in this situation, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody had a little bit of blame. Um, Dario kind of lost uh, lost his uh, – I don't ever I swear once. I'm not gonna swear again. <laughs> Lost this group um, over this whole thing and had a little temper tantrum. And um, whether you agree with the rule or not, um, he's played um, a lot of poker and knows the rule and probably shouldn't have, you know, got so upset uh, over the ruling, right? Um, uh, Jack Effel, I, I think, didn't handle the situation as well as he could have been. Uh, a lot of people gave him uh, crap for saying, uh, if you're going to call 17, you're going to call 22, which sounded ridiculous. Uh, my friends on uh, a couple nights ago um, clarified and said he didn't say uh, if you were going to call, which makes a big difference in the statement. But at the same time, I said, you know, hey, when you are making a decision, this is not a $100 Wednesday night tournament in your local casino, right? This right. is um, 11 players left in the biggest tournament in the world. Pretty massive um, uh, price pool bump at that point and not for nothing but we're playing for 10 million dollars uh, I, I think you need to choose your words very carefully and he um, certainly didn't need to say what he said there so um, not a hero uh, for Jack Kappel either um, and then the um, the player that uh, went all in and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name now anyhow but and, and this is the crux of my argument um, he did not correct the dealer Hmm. So when the dealer said 17.2, he didn't pipe up and say, nope, actually it's 22.2 million. And so I think he bears some responsibility here as well, too. And that's kind of where my argument's going on this is that I'm a big fan of responsibility in life in general. Um, I'm a big fan of taking responsibility at the poker table. So I'm all, all down with all that. Um, <clears throat> but we don't have stats on this. I'm curious what you think though, but, uh, I would say 90% of our call the floors on this show, which then end up in the magazine, right? Um, either involve dealer error or player error or both. Mm-hmm. Is that real? Yeah. If I'm in the yeah. ballpark, yeah, think? yeah, at least. So th- those are our massive, massive problems that we deal with. And when you're looking to try to eliminate that, I think that's what you got to look at. And, um, and the response that you get from players when they say, yeah, I know the dealer gave you bad information, but it's your responsibility to know the correct information. 
And I understand why players get upset with that. And I do too. And the, one of the points I've been making is that in the past, the casino paid the dealers um, to deal. Uh, that's no longer the case anymore. I mean, they're paying their like their their base, typical wage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in the past, you know, uh, there were no dealer add-ons, nothing coming out of the prize pool, and the winners were tipping, and that's where the most uh, dealers got most of it. So the winners were paying the dealer's salary. That's not the case now. Now money's being taken out of the prize pool, or there's a dealer add-on. So every player in the tournament is playing, paying those dealers' salaries. And I, and I agree with players who believe that we should have an expectation that that dealer should work for us. And when the dealer makes a mistake, there should be something more than "oopsie, sorry." It should have been "you should have known better," right? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm really, I really think we kind of need to revisit this player responsibility in some instances. And you know, we make the case that if you're in the seat three, you're looking at seat seven. The rules say, well, poker's a game of visible um, things, so you should be able to look across and you should be able to count the stack. Well, sometimes it's pretty hard all the way across, right? Especially when there's a lot of chips. Now, to the World Series credit. Um, even when uh, Ensign had 340 million, he had about seven chips in front of him. It was amazing to watch, right? They colored up. So, um, but I've also made the argument in my first tournament out here. I asked for a count, um, and a player had like seven chips stacked, and with the different colors, it's from across the table is kind of hard. So, you know, if I'm not allowed to go across the table and touch the chips and count down the chips myself, but I'm still responsible for the count, I can understand why players are upset about that. So. There, there needs to be something a little bit better um, in terms of making me feel better that the the dealer counted correctly and I've gotten the best chance I can to actually count the chips. But to the point I make here, why is there no responsibility on this other player in this hand to speak up and say the count is incorrect? Why is all the responsibility on me as the player calling? Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know. I mean, you're allowed to not say anything, and you're allowed to just sit there. I mean, I, I don't. I, I I would assume that it's an angle shot. If you know you have twenty two point two million, you might not even know what you have, especially when it gets to those higher numbers. So you're letting the dealer count it out, and you're just you're just staring at the felt, trying not to give a tell away or something. When he says that's how much it is, you don't you don't know. That went. That's when he's not responsible for it, I guess. I don't know. But if he knows, and he doesn't say anything, yeah, you're in a gray area there. Uh, you know, it's an ethical well, even thing. Even if you don't know, I guess is what I'm saying. Because if if I'm calling your bet and I ask for a count, all the responsibility is on me to make sure that the dealer doesn't screw that up. So the best I can do is ask them to cut the chips properly, spread them out, do everything I can so I can visually get it. But all the responsibility is on me. And, you know, there is a there is a TDA rule that says all players should be uh, acting in the best interest of the game. And I've got to say that is why um, uh, that that when, when you push all in and somebody asks for a count, I believe you have a responsibility to correct the dealer if you're wrong. You shouldn't all that responsibility shouldn't be on the dealer to get it correct, which actually has no responsibility. Right. And the other player. To, to get it right. I think there should be some shared punishment there. And um, it, this was the kind of the discussion uh, a couple nights ago. Uh, tournament directors don't like being, don't, don't like the word punishment, but, um, but that's, that's clearly what it was. Right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Dario asked for a count. He was told 17.2 million, made a decision based on that number. 
lost the hand, so he actually lost five million. He got punished yeah. because the dealer gave incorrect information and he didn't verify it. And the other guy didn't speak up to say, "Hey, that's wrong. It should be twenty-three point two million." Okay, so I I totally agree that there's a, a responsibility on a lot of parts here. I think the dealer was wrong. I think the player who had the chips was wrong. I kind of guess Dario is a little bit responsible, but really, I don't see how he is. You're paying a dealer to run the game. You ask the dealer where the chips are. The chips are on the other side of the table. I can't count them from here. It's 22 million chips, so I'm not going to be able to count them by eye, no matter how much they color it up. I don't know for sure how many chips he has. I can't see him. Am I supposed to be able to get up and walk over to his thing? And I mean, seriously, if we actually treated that every single time we needed to make uh, account, the, the tournaments would take forever. People would start getting really pissed off because you're like, well, I want to make sure this is right, so I'm going to walk over there and watch him count, and I'm going to double-check the counts. Every, I mean, we're talking about trying to speed up the game, doing these big blind anti-inventions and everything. And so I don't see how Dario really is responsible. And then I really don't see how the other player is really all responsible for telling. I mean, if you're allowed to sit there and not say a word, and then the dealer is the one who gives the count because if you don't say anything that's what happens i don't i just i think it's all on the dealer and i don't know what kind of penalty you could do to all three of these people i mean i don't see how dario gets penalized he already got penalized by having to pay an extra five million but i mean what even if we're all even if what you said was right even if what you feel is correct that they're all responsible and there's some sort of penalty or punishment what could that possibly be well i mean what do you say to the guy who won the extra five million now you have to sit out around because you didn't tell him you had five more i i'm allowed well, to sit here and be quiet so, so we've got to an interesting discussion that we had this is where it got really passionate the internet uh with, with ben and jordan so one i mean you can't do anything about the dealer the dealer made a mistake um and uh, these are really good dealers in these cases and usually they are really good dealers and they feel mortified themselves when they make a mistake at this. I promise you that dealer was sick forever. Sure. <laughs> That's right. So, sure. um, and it, there's nothing you could do in terms of the tournament to take care of that. And I mean, obviously you could address it off, off felt later on, blah, blah, blah. Um, but here's what we were talking about, you know, the term accepted action that's in the TDA rules, right? So, so when this player moved all in, you asked for a count, they gave you a bad count. You actually, by the way the rule is written now, you have accepted action on the all-in, not the count that you got, right? Hmm. My point is, I, Dario didn't accept action on the full amount. He accepted it. He asked the dealer for a count. The dealer said $17.2 million. That's the accepted action that exactly. he Exactly. So that means if he would have won... He can't win more than seventeen point two million. He didn't actually accept action on twenty two point two million, um, and just the same if he lost. So that's where we get at the punishment. So he lost the hand, so he got punished by an extra five million chips. Um, had he won, the other player would got punished for you know not being able to for the same thing. So uh, if you don't want to use the word punishment, which I know Ben and uh, Jordan don't, that's great. But I mean, that's really what's happening here, right? So, to me, the accepted action was seventeen point two million. Now, I don't know what you do with that extra five million, because uh, Jordan made a very good point. When the first player pushed all in, his accepted action was all in, yeah, right? Yeah. He didn't ask for a count. He didn't say I'm all in for seventeen point two million, even though he has twenty two point two million. He said I'm all in. So therefore, his action, which he put out, and is all in. So. If you say that Dario has accepted action, it's only seventeen point two. Now there's an extra five million sitting there, right? 
and that guy committed all his chips, but now gets five million chips back. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> right. I know. I I don't know what you so do. Where it gets confusing, but there seems to be there needs to be something. Something needs to be done somewhere there. And I will say this at the TDA summit, they made a couple small steps. Uh, should small is the wrong word. Uh, they made a couple meaningful steps towards this by you know now having dealers announce bets and raises and the amounts, which keeps dealers more involved in the game, so there's less likely they're going to make these mistakes. Um, you know, uh, Matt was making a push to get uh, players to keep all their chips in 20 um, chip stacks, which is probably never going to happen, but at least it's an effort to make it easier for me across the table to, to um, count count your chips and let the dealer know it's wrong. But um, really, I think at some point, I don't know how this comes out. I mean, we've got two years before the next TDA summit, but that player responsibility needs to extend to this other person in this situation, I think. I think when you are all in, um, or whatever the bet is, and somebody asks for a count, it's your responsibility to make sure the dealer count is correct just as much as the person that's asking. Well, yeah, so then at this point, when you take it out of the dealer's hands, there's going to be more problems, I think. It, it, let's say you You're not out of the dealer's hands. You're all, you know, asking the dealer to, to, to not make mistakes, which is, you know, we're human, so that's going to happen. But you're putting more responsibility on other people to make sure it's correct. So, in other words, you're right going to be sitting there putting, watching the, the dealer. The only person responsible for getting it correct now is the person that asked for the count. And that's wrong, I think. Yeah, because yeah, I can't imagine why Both me asking for it is responsible for it. It doesn't make any sense that I'm asking for a count and I'm responsible for that person's count. Uh, it's one thing if it's if my, they're my chips, and it's one thing if the dealer is doing it. But as the player asking for the count, I, I can't understand why this person gets hurt. I mean, he, he can't. I don't think that he should have to put in that extra five million. But I don't know how you rectify that since the other person went all in. Like, all right, what, what about especially this? With I, just with, I just came up with this. All right, so let's say in an all-in, player asks for a count, dealer makes the count, and then before anybody says call or anything like that, goes to the player that asks for the count. Do you agree that it was seventeen point two million? That person nods. You go to the person whose chips they are. Do you agree that seventeen point two million? Yep. Now everybody at the tables agree that it's seventeen point two million. Yeah. That's the bet now to me. Yeah, and then what happens to that five million? Well, that's what the bet is. I mean he went all in for what ended up being seventeen point two million because all three of them can't count. Right. But so then what happens out. to the five million? He gets he a still has for free. the five million. Dario gets seventeen point two million. Play continues. Wow! So the guy can go all in. They can all be stupid at math, and then he can survive a tournament when he lost. I mean, how often is that going to happen? No, know, I know. But go back to TDA. Someone we're talking about the big blind Annie, and we spent four hours talking about something's going to happen once every five million tournaments. So, but the, the, there just needs to be something. That may not be the scenario. That may not be the solution. But it, it just it, it it smells wrong. It looks wrong. It feels wrong. That all the responsibility is on the person that calls, and the player who shoved all in can go eat a sandwich yeah. and not punished at all yeah. for either knowing that that count was wrong and didn't say anything, or being completely oblivious to the count and not counting along with everybody else. So yeah, yeah. that's that's what's going to change. So I don't know what it is, but we'll, we'll see what. Uh, what Matt says, what our, our listeners say, and we got two two years to figure this out. So. <laughs> All right. All right, moving on. Uh, Dennis Bleeden, uh, who just last year earned $1 million by winning the WPT LA Poker Classic, has been charged with embezzling $22 million from his employer, Style Hall, 
and using it for poker tournament buy-ins, cash games, and loans to other poker players. Um, first question, uh, is Style Hall hiring? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm always really amazed at when I see these embezzlement things, especially numbers like this. Um, just how the internal quality controls work for these places that someone can get away with it. Like, I don't know if you ever watched the movie Owning Mahoney uh, with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. No. If you have it, you would actually really enjoy it. But um, it's a true story based on this guy from worked for a Canadian company. And he started gambling, small school, and then got bigger and bigger. And then he started taking money from the company and gambling. And you know how this ends, right? You know, then he takes more to chase his losses. Next thing you know, he becomes this big, huge, high roller at the casino where they're flying him on jets and everything. But it's not his money. It's the company's money and eventually loses it all. So, I mean, how does that happen anywhere? Well, what happens is uh, Dennis asks for a count of how much money they have in the bank, and then someone miscounts, and then he gets to keep the money without penalty. Um, okay, so, you know, due process and all that. We don't really know if this guy's guilty or anything. He's been charged. We don't know what's going on. But, yeah, that's it's pretty remarkable how much money someone – if that's the case. If, if everything ends up being where this guy's guilty and that's how much money he got, it's pretty remarkable that Style Hall, you know, just it, somehow $22 million just gone, just like that. I'm being a little hard. Being a little hard on him because obviously he was making up fake invoices, or the the allegation is that he was making up fake invoices and and paying them out and all that. So, you know, it, it does take you know forensic auditing, which is what happened here, to figure out all that. So maybe it's not as easy as I think to to catch that. But twenty two million disappears. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. I think it's got to show up on some kind of like P and L sheet or something, right? Like, yeah. Wow, we are way down in this, or we're oh my God, this division's doing crazy. We made twenty two million this year. You yeah, know, it yeah. just it seems. You know, I'm not taking the blame off him. He's obviously, um, if, if he's guilty of all this, a complete scumbag. But um, it's just amazing to me how often you see these embezzlement cases that they just aren't caught until they get this ridiculous. So, yeah, and then I mean, it's not a black eye in the poker community, but it just doesn't that help. You know, it's not like yeah. this is what poker yeah. players do. But it doesn't help that this guy used poker to try to get some of that money out there in a way. You know what I mean? Used it for things. If, if that's what happened. So just another black guy we need to deal with. Uh. Okay, any updates? The schedule for the Annie Up Poker Tour at Atlantis Casino Resort Spa in Reno, uh, Nevada. I guess, do I have to say Nevada? I mean, people know what Reno is, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess you're probably right. <laughs> August 15th to the 25th uh, has been announced. The schedule features 19 events. With 350k in guarantees, including an $1,100 main event that will land the winner on the cover of Annie Up. Other unique events include seniors, Battle of the Ages, Kitchen Sink, and 8K Mix. For all details, visit AnnieUpMagazine.com/Atlantis. Also, we love hearing from our fans. If you have a hand of the week, listener spotlight, or call the floor submission, email us at podcast at AnnieUpMagazine.com or post in the Annie Up Fans group on Facebook. Hey, we get to complete O'Malley's move today. Here it comes, part one. We'll see you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We are still at that $1, $2, no limit hold'em casino cash game and have doubled our starting stack. We have 600 the blinds post, and it's folded all the way around to us in the cutoff with the jack of hearts, ten of hearts. Now, I know a lot of people would raise this up, but I'm not one of those people. We call. The button calls, as do both blinds, and we see a flop with about $5 in the pot after the rake. 
The king of clubs, seven of hearts, deuce of hearts comes down. The small blind leads out for $10, double the pot. He's the same villain from last week, fairly competent, can lay down a hand, but usually knows where he is in a hand. He has lost one buy-in, but has built his second up to around 400. The big blind folds, and we are going to see just how confident he is in his hand. We make it $30 to go. The button folds, and the small blind thinks for a short time before calling. There's now $65 in the pot, and the turn is the deuce of diamonds. Our opponent, this time, thinks for a short time before checking. We count out $40 and put it into the pot. Again, after some short thought, he calls. The pot stands at about 145 and the river is the five of diamonds. Our opponent again checks. So, are we taking another shot at this one? What's the move? All right, call me crazy, but it feels like our opponent might have also been on a flush draw and missed. Um, if not, his constant hesitation makes me think he's light here. And since it's unlikely we can win a showdown with Jack High, I think we need to bet. Uh, I'm going to go probably half the pot. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think we can win without betting. Um, but do we really want to risk losing more money hoping he was on a busted draw? I think I'm going to check and lick my wounds. Uh, yeah, so here comes part two. Hello again. In retrospect, another bet might have taken this pot. Maybe. We check. Our opponent announces kings and turns over the king of diamonds, tray of diamonds. Maybe a raise preflop would have done the trick. Maybe that's being results-oriented. Should I have fired a third bullet after he checked the river? Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying sometimes the right move isn't always crystal clear. I hope to see you on the felt. All right, so if you want to be results-oriented, it's definitely a river bet would have won this hand for us. So um, like my good partner said, we uh, would have lost more money. Um, but I definitely think we should have raised preflop. Uh, only in rare circumstances do you not raise if you're first in a pot preflop, and this certainly wasn't one of those rare circumstances. We had a hand that could flop big, and we had position to represent bigger hands that we missed, and we let that suited king tray into this pot, and he just didn't believe us. Yeah, I was glad we checked, but just like you, I'm sorry we didn't raise entering the pot because that hand is not there. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad we checked. Uh, I don't like to lose more money when when we're not, you know, when we're guessing. I don't like to lose money when I'm guessing. You know what I mean? But, True. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry there, O'Malley. What are you going to do? <laughs> All right, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com. Hand of the week, send your hands for situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And I believe this is a situation, but we'll see how it works out. But it's from Thomas Philippek. Okay. And uh, he even put, I have a situation in quotes, the podcast. So All he right. thinks it's a situation. So I, like I said, uh, it's a pretty long email. So now here's the deal. Now, he, he, he believes it's a situation. But unless you are responsible enough to read the whole thing and assess it for yourself, when we get to this, if I have to commit to a hand of the week rather than a situation, I'm going to feel like there's some sort of penalty involved here. That's right. That's right. I'm going to have to sit out a whole podcast. you sit out a whole show. And no, we can't do that because that would break the streak. You know what I mean? Zeus forbid. <laughs> oh, man. All right. He said I was uh, playing in a 1-3 no-limit holding game at the Wynn Poker Room in Las Vegas. And he says they allow Mississippi straddles, and one player had done a six-hour straddle on the button every chance he had. And why wouldn't you? I don't know why they even allow this. I mean, you get so much power when you can do the Mississippi straddle. So yeah, yeah. 
And if you're not doing it, you really should, even though I hate straddlers. Um, another another discussion we had over steak the other night, too. But um, anyhow, uh, Thomas says uh, he was very consistent. Uh, no raise if he had garbage. A raise to 15 if he had a playable hand like a small pair or a big ace. And a raise to 30 if he had a big pair like jacks or better. Well, that's not great if you got pinned down that well. Yeah. Good luck, sir. Not good. Uh, pre-flop, everyone folded around to me. I was in middle position with the ace of hearts, seven of hearts. Very hand I went out with last night in the Jack Up tournament. <laughs> uh, with about $550. Um, so, all right. We'll assume it's a hand now. It'll morph into a situation if it needs to. So. Well, it's tough when you got the straddler guy, you know, because I I don't even though we had him pinned for what he does with his raises, we still don't know if he's going to be the typical straddler who just raises to raise. You know, it's one thing if he makes those moves earlier that he was discussing when he's just in any position, but when he's actually got the straddle on, so he's sitting on the button with, you know, money in there already. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to put money in and then have this guy just jack it up or limp and have him jack it up. And now I've got his a seven. So it's interesting. I, I don't mind limping if I think this guy is going to to let me limp for six. But if I make it six and there's already his six and then the blind's already out there and then he's going to pop it to like thirty, forty, I don't think I want to get involved with a seven. You know, I'm abs- I'm looking for one specific flop then, and now I don't like putting my money in for one flop. So um, I think that I. I would probably limp and hope it doesn't get raised. I'm not. I don't want to come in raising and then have this guy just come over the top and then I got this crappy hand in front of me. So let's try a limp for six and hope we get away with it. Yeah, I, I think I'm just throwing this away. I'm like, give it's a cash game. It's not a tournament. There's no pressure to play hands. So I'm playing hands. I want to play hands that I feel comfortable playing. And you're right. This is really out a hand that we're looking for hearts and hearts only. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, we're not gonna be excited if we see an ace. Um, only going to be excited to see a seven if it's top pair. And even then, if it's top pair, that means there's probably some straight possibilities out there. So, um, you know, other than the two aces, two sevens, those kind of combinations, it's really, we're, we're really on a flush draw here is is it. And, um, so the only, the only reason that that I'm I'm tempted to, to limp here is because we believe that we've narrowed down this guy to really, um, pretty strict, um, categories of hands. So, you know, if he doesn't um, raise, then then we know we we probably have him beat here, right? Yeah. Um, if he raises to anything, we're, there's no reason to put money back in this pot. So, so you know, if we feel like it's worth six bucks just to see if he's going to check behind, and then we can eliminate him from uh, really pretty much from the hand, that's fine. But it just doesn't seem like there's any reason for us to do this at this point. So I'm going to fold, but uh, I'm sure that's not what Thomas is going to do. Yeah. Otherwise, really, be a situation. <laughs> All right, he calls the six bucks. Uh, everyone folds to the blinds. Uh, the small blind, a middle-aged man who was uh, tight aggressive, he says, uh, was slightly less than the 550 um, Thomas has, calls. And the big blind calls. The button, who had at least 800, raises to $40. Oh. Uh, small blind call, big blind folded back to us. I hate this uh, Mississippi straddle crap you gotta go past you gotta jump over him go to the small and the big and then come back to him I mean, it's just ridiculous it's just ridiculous it's like saying can you go back in time you know you, you, it's just ridiculous yeah you don't get a delorean <laughs> um yeah this is what i was afraid of do i really want to put 40 dollars out with a seven you know what i mean and everyone else folded so there's only 46 you know 
I guess. Well, it, small uh, blinds, small blinds, so we'd be yeah, three so, hands. All right. So even so, I, I do I want to put forty in to win fifty two. I mean, I don't know to with an A seven, probably not. So I'd probably just let it go here. You know. Well, and the other thing too is if you go back to where he kind of delineated this player's hands. He said a raise to 30 if he had a big pair like Jacks or better. And this was 40. Yeah. So if he's consistent on this, then we don't know. I mean, but um, that means we have to hit an ace, and the ace may not be good. Um, That's right. To, to be that, plus, you know, or the hearts we were talking about, which is really because we got a third player in here, so our ace is not going to make it. It may make me feel better from the, the button straddler, but it may not make me feel better at all about the small blinds. So. Yeah, this is an easy fold for me, I think. Yeah, so. easy, easy fold. Okay, we'll see you next week. Um, yep, unfortunately, <laughs> Thomas is going to call here. He's a little... You know, call me Mr. Vegas. All right. Put it in. So, uh, flop comes 10 of hearts, 8 of hearts, 8 of diamonds, small blind checks to us. Uh, well, we got the flush draw, um, which is what we were hoping for. Uh, we don't like the paired board. Um... Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I feel like betting into this guy is probably not the right thing to do because he might force us out of this hand. You know, I, I really want to put 550 in the middle or whatever, 500 in the middle on a draw. If this guy now shoves on us or raises um, even more, like it, or bets even more. If we If we put out a bet of, say, I don't know, 80 or something, and this guy makes it 300, you know, or some bizarre number. I mean, do we really want to get it all in on a draw that we're not even having a nut hand? You know, this guy could have pocket tens for all you know. Yeah. Um, you know, especially since I think you were saying that he made it thirty when he had a big pair. Jacks are better, so maybe forty is because he had tens. You know, who knows? I have no. I have no idea. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to check and let this guy bet and see what he bets. Um. I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's going to bet enough that's going to force us out at this point, but I certainly don't want him to come over the top and then force us to make a big decision for a draw. So I don't mind checking here. Yeah, I think you have to check here. I think you're right. Any kind of bet here, we're likely to get raised because, you know, at this point, I mean, we're not pinning him down too hard, but based off what Thomas told us, I mean, it seems most likely he has a pair. And if he has a pair, this is a pretty good flop for him because now he's got two pair. If he has the tens, then he has the boat, and then we're essentially drawing. Actually, we are drawing dead, I think, right? Um, so uh, I would rather just check here, see what he bets, and if it's a reasonable amount that I think is worth my flush draw minus the boat outs that we can't count, then then I'll I'll stick around. But if not, uh, I'm quite happy getting out of this hand. I was quite happy not putting forty dollars in this pot to begin with. So, yeah. Um, all right. Um, uh, all right, so uh, Hero says that um, it occurred to me that the small blind didn't have an eight because he was too aggressive to risk missing a bet on trip eights because I was convinced the button had a large pair. He didn't have an eight. Uh, if I had ace eight suited instead of ace seven suited, my play to this point would have been identical. If I had ace eight, I would now have to put in a large bet to protect it against a very wet board. Two cards with heart flush, two cards with straight, and a paired board on the flop. I was inspired. If I shoved all in, everyone would have to fold. I had a reputation at the table for playing very tight for more than six hours. Of course, if I shoved, everyone would put me on an eight. It made perfect sense, and the story I would be telling would be perfectly consistent 
if someone didn't believe me or someone happened to have an eight, which I was convinced they didn't, I still would have two chances to catch the nut flush. It would be a good semi-bluff. Who would be willing to bet more than 500 that I didn't have an eight? The alternatives did not look great. If I checked, the button would have likely made a substantial uh, C-bet, and I wouldn't um, want to check raise while behind. If I called and the heart came, I might get paid off because the flush would look too obvious. If I called and the heart doesn't come, I'll likely have to call another substantial bet on turn just to see if my flush gets there on the river. Meanwhile, any jack, queen, or king would be a major scare card. This is the type of situation that comes up often in several different variations because I was so convinced, uh, based on the reads, on hours of play with a small blind and button players, that neither player had an eight and it made sense to me at the time that this was the time to shove. I shoved all in, and the button player insta-shoved behind me. Small blind paused and said, I don't see how I can avoid calling. He spent what seemed like forever considering his decision. First, I thought he would shove, and then I thought he would fold. He went back and forth with a different body language more than once. Finally said, I have an open-ended straight flush draw, and shoved his chips in. Uh, the open and straight flush statement immediately worried me. That meant three or four of my outs were gone, the two hearts he was holding, and the two that would make the straight flush. I later realized that my seven of hearts would have also been one of the cards to make his straight flush, so only three outs were gone. Turn was an ace of diamonds in the river, an ace of clubs, runner, runner. Turn over my full house, ace is full base, my opponent's folded, and I was soon being pushed a pot of more than $1,600. There was pandemonium at the table while I was pulling in the biggest pot of the day, and I thought I overheard the button muttering them, so the hearts wouldn't have been enough. That would have meant he had pocket tens and flawed tens full of eights. No wonder he insta-shoved because I had the small blind cover. There was no side pot, and neither of the players turned over their cards. Small blind probably had a jack nine of hearts for a straight flush draw, as he claimed. When I asked what the button had, he said, I don't. I didn't show. Did he have pocket tens? Obviously, the result was great for me, but we can't be results-oriented. Uh, was this a good way to handle this type of situation? It would have been more likely that the button would have had jacks, queens, or kings. Preflop raised to forty dollars indicates to me that he wanted both of us to fold and not just isolate, like he w- would have wanted to with aces. I read uh, that no one had an eight was good, and barring the unusual hands that I happened to run into, my shove should have been convincing enough to take down on the flop. Yes. <laughs> uh no. I, there, there's a <laughs> lot. It's funny people will send in hands of the week, and then they'll they'll write a ton of stuff like trying to prove that they're right or whatever, but then still want our advice on it. And it's like, okay, here, here's what I think. Um, one, that is way, 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 way too big of a bet to make, regardless if you want them to fold or not. First of all, you had a guy who had a straight flush draw, so you thought you had the nut flush draw, and you didn't. Second, we talked about pocket tens being out there. Pocket eights were out there. It's possible. Ten eight is possible because it's a person on a straddle who could just be making a move like they always do. So you you, you have hand, a hand that is absolutely drawing almost dead to a couple of those hands, and since you were going for the flush and couldn't even conceive of runner runner aces to win the hand, you know what I mean th- th- those are not even half outs as Skolansky would say. I mean runner runner aces were like maybe tenth outs. I mean you couldn't even wow. count them as outs. Yeah. So, to me, right there, and to and to risk five hundred, right to win one hundred and twenty was that what it was? And we did it without even any aggression from the other guy yet. Checks to us, and we shove five hundred to win one twenty. That is just that is just not good poker, because you don't know for sure this guy has doesn't have ten ten doesn't have an eight. The other guy to say that the small blind would have bet into us with an eight. I think is categorically wrong. I don't care how aggressive he was. 
you have two people act behind you, and you have a guy who's aggressive who is on, who makes the straddle and then makes the huge raise, and it's a pretty innocuous board. I mean, you say it's wet because there's a ten and an eight, and there's two eights and there's two hearts. But I mean, if he has an over pair, he's gonna want to bet then to protect the hand. And so, yeah. why would the guy with the eight now bet and scare us off? So I don't agree with that assessment either. I mean, it's a lot to take in all all his thoughts there and everything. I couldn't really follow every single thing you were reading off, but to me, the insta shove from the other guy, I don't have a problem with that. He's got tens full. Of course, he's insta shoving behind you, and there's no no bet that you can make that makes tens full of eights fold. There's no bet. So why make that bet? Because you're only going to get called by that bet. It just to me was a huge risk, and when it was all over, you were in last place. Yeah. I mean, essentially, to me, okay, the guy had ace, uh, ace. You had the ace high over the, the, but he had straight flush draw that you didn't even see because you said you had a nut flush draw, and you didn't. So, I mean, to me, yeah, okay, so you you had ace high over jack nine, but there you go. There's your hand right there that proves that ten eight could have called that raise. Because someone with Jack Nine called that raise, so ten eight could have been out too, and you could have been literally just either drawing absolutely dead, you know, to pocket eights, or to that one one hundredth of a percentage point <laughs> that Ace Ace is going to come and save you for a sixteen hundred dollar pot. Pot. So to me, I think uh, I think this was played wrong a lot of ways, and I'm not trying to hurt Tom Ceilings or anything, but I think. You know, getting involved with the ace seven, okay, I would have limped too probably. But then the forty dollar raise, I'm probably out of there. And then when that flop comes and I bet out like that with the assumptions that we made, I I just can't I can't I can't fathom making a five hundred dollar bet um, on that on that pot because if you had the eight, you're only trying to scare people off, so they know you don't have the eight. So then if you had like eights full of tens. They know you don't have that because the likelihood of someone having the pocket tens is rare in that instance. So they know you're not doing that with 500. Why bet that much? That's not one of those bluff things. You you want to make your value there with eights full or tens full or quad eights or whatever. So they know you don't have that. So what is it you have? An overpair? Well, this guy's got tens full. You're only going to get called. That's the most famous line in poker other than it depends. Is you're only going to get called by a better hand there. And to me, that's just that was just a a poor choice and you got lucky you got it paid off and it, it happens once in a while where you get lucky but these things don't happen to me because i don't make bets like that you know what i mean i don't get to get lucky like that i i would have checked and then let the guy bet see what the turn guy does he would have come along probably whatever the guy bets and then you can assess there and when the turn comes and you got your ace now you can feel more confident that you have an ace for an out if you're wrong or if he's only got kings, you've got aces now, and you've caught up. You know what I mean? There, I mean, you you got the max value here, but it was dumb luck. It wasn't, it wasn't skill that got you the max value, and you may have won less. But if you play that way over time, you'll make a lot more money than this sixteen hundred dollar money that you fell into, like Kramer on Seinfeld. You know. <laughs> so to me, I I just I I think yes, I think your shove was was a bad play. Um, I think you said that. Should it? You said should I think you said something at the end, or should it have been convincing enough to take to take down the pot or something? And I'm like, there's no way, there's no way that pot that bet is enough. There's no way tens full is folding and a straight flush guy. Yeah, that guy probably should have folded for that bet. 
um, because he has to hit a straight flush. That I mean, that's well, yeah. I mean, I would argue that at that point, yeah. Now he's got so much money in there that he knows if he hits, he's obviously well. He knows if he hits, he's going to win. But now there's so much money to make it enticing. I'm not saying I would necessarily make that call, but I, I can. I'm not going to criticize him for making that call either. If he was a different order in the betting, that would be a different story. But um, he was closing it out with you know sixteen hundred dollars in the pot now. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I think is is interesting. I mean, uh, you, you said most of the points. So I'm not going to reiterate what you said, but the one thing I, I will say is that the um, uh, going back to the the eights, uh, if the guy, the small blind, you know, would have bet a board out because it was wet, which you mentioned. Um, the other reason he wouldn't bet out because we've got a player that straddled big with a big big raise. So there's no reason to believe that if the small blind put him on the same range of hands that we did that uh, there's no reason to believe that it's going to get checked around, right? right. So what that, that player is going to bet, so therefore you don't have to protect those eights. Somebody else is going to protect those eights for you, and then you can check raise at that point. So there's just so much danger there and um, some assumptions that – and I hate to criticize our, our um, submitters' um, assumptions because they have a body of – time at the, at the table with these people and you can't remember to write everything in an email right so but based on what we've been told um i think we're making assumptions that, that probably were a little more difficult and then the last thing i will say too is that the 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 over bet is not always as menacing as it sounds i think that's kind of like our thinking that hey, if i bet so much that they can only call me if they have like the best hand otherwise they can't uh, i think we're at a point in poker now where people know that uh, sometimes when people bet too much, it is either a bluff or they're lighter than they are. And so, yeah, it takes a little gumption to make that call because it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but you feel in some ways a little more secure making that call than you do a more properly sized bet, right? So, um, you know, depending on how much gamble these folks have in them, they might say, hey, you know, who, who would bet 500 here with a hand that has me crushed? No one. So... You know, if my hand here I feel is it's good enough that I have a chance to win or is already ahead, then yeah, I'm gonna take that risk because it's gonna be a big payday for me. And um, and certainly uh, tens full <laughs> was gonna make that that call all day long. Uh, I don't know about the the straight flush, um, but um, I, I I think if your thinking is if I just shove so much money that no one's gonna call that's that's a flaw in anyways game because yep. there's gonna be somebody out there at some point that's gonna call you um with something thinking that that just doesn't make sense and then um felt you so it all worked out for you but yep. uh, but i'm on team chris here that long term i think um you're gonna lose more money than you won here but yeah you won 1600 and you got to be on the show so there's a lot of good to be made from it but uh, i would never play that way again i would i would uh think about it a little more before i make that kind of commitment okay i'm chris casenza and i'm scott long we'll see you at the table anti-up is a production of antiupmagazine.com Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.